the Sherry episodes. Sherry's gonna have its moment, man. Sherry's gonna. I'm like, no, it's fucking not. Happy holidays. This is liquid gold. All right, where the guests are high and the wine is dry. Welcome back to another holiday edition of Liquid Gold. Yeah. I'm your host, Mike Wolf, today, along with. I'm Kenneth Dedman. Kenneth, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Great to see you. Brought back our mascot, Chris. Yeah. In the fold. We missed you in Charleston. Thanks to everybody down in Charleston who uh, hosted me last weekend doing the book events out there. Edmunds Oast Exchange, incredible shop. We had a big party there with the jazz band, punch, lobster rolls, etc. Sparkling wine on special. That was great. Did they still have um, the uh, the Underberg that we talked about? The Underberg uh, barrel? I forgot to talk to him about that. that. I just saw the belt hanging on the wall. Mm. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure they do. Shout out to Sarah and everybody over there. And then Kevin, Kenny, and all the crew at Monero. That was a that was a great little pop-up we did there. And uh, as always, it is the holidays. You can check out our new book, Cheer, the Liquid Gold Holiday Drinking Guide, available wherever you buy books. Also right next to our friend Craig's Restaurant Peninsula at the Bookshop East. And uh, wherever you buy books. So check that out. Okay, this is an episode that we have. We just need to dive in because we got a lot to get to. Yeah. This is an episode that we've been circling for a long time. The Sherry episode. So we'll call this a very Sherry Christmas, a very Sherry New Year's. However we want to uh, say it, Sherry is one of the most underappreciated wines, fortified wines, uh, liquids that, that we have left to talk about. We're four years in. We've never done the Sherry episode. It's finally here. We want to welcome a few very special guests that we had to bring in for this very special topic. We have Craig Schoen from Peninsula Restaurant. Craig. Hello. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for flying me in on Hooters Airlines. That was really great. Anytime. How were the wings? They were fantastic. I spilled a lot of them. And we also have Nathaniel Smith from all the way from Minnesota. How are you, Nathaniel? Hey. Hello. Uh, I'm great. Cold. Nice and uh, snowy for Christmas up here. I bet. I bet you get a lot of white Christmas up there. It's not even a thing, really. It's it's kind of time and place. It's the, it's the thing we do. I feel like your name, we've never met in person. I feel like your name sounds like you you were one of the first colonizers in America, Nathaniel Smith. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like you had... He brought Sherry. He brought Sherry That's why over. he's here. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. He, uh, and that, it's, and it's an old family tradition, yeah. It's just... So Nathaniel is the national sales director at 100 Mill Street Gin, an incredible gin up there in Minnesota. And uh, we met when I went out there to do the Spoon and Stable Synergy Series. The Synergy it was Series. The husk mixed with uh, yeah Spoon and Stable, and you came up and did some bar stuff up here, and we hung out and hit up some of the old haunts around downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, you were very hospitable. Kind of each other since then. Yeah, you showed me some really cool spots, and then I knew we were fast friends when we just launched right into talking martini and we just had a lot of the same thoughts and passions and love for the martini so it's great to finally get you on here you love sherry you have a passion for it and you just traveled all around spain jerez and uh and got to check out a bunch of sherry so we're, we're going to talk to you about your trip let's talk about what sherry is so sherry is basically a fortified wine it was once thought of as you know, one of the great wines of the world going back, you know, 100, 200 years ago. Uh, but it's basically wine from that region of Spain. It's just like we talked about with uh, vermouth and um, like we've talked about before with port. And with port, the fermentation 
and when they're uh, fortifying it is a little bit different. But with sherry, you're basically, after fermentation is complete, those base wines are fortified with uh, grape spirit or neutral spirit. It increases the alcohol content, usually up to about 15.5 for a lot of the dry sherries, and then up to 17% for some of the more oxidized um, and richer uh, sherries. And and then they, they age in a barrel, and then there's this whole Solera system that they use before bottling. There's usually not like a vintage year, and we'll get into what uh, Solera is and, and all that. Craig, I'll put this to you. So you, you've served a lot of sherry over at uh, Peninsula, your restaurant, though, there in East Nashville. Many of us, including us, think that Peninsula is the best restaurant in Nashville. It's just phenomenal. For five years, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, Thank five you. years. five years, yep. You were kind of, I feel like, pretty early in that you were not just like putting sherry into cocktails. You were really serving it. Uh, to complement the food, and you were um, shining a light onto it, and you had you would do sherry dinners. Why does sherry work so well with a lot of the food there at Peninsula, which is kind of Portuguese, Spanish-influenced, but you guys are kind of doing a very unique take on all of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just acid, dryness, and salinity. Mm-hmm. Like, running bars for 28 years or whatever it is and then owning a restaurant are two different things because basically my entire job is to complement the food Mm. so you know for those 20 whatever years me trying to get people to drink sherry was a little more difficult because for one thing i think it a lot of times is better with food so right um you end up doing especially when you're younger you, you end up using it in a cocktail with 12 other things or you know you'd you, you and then you realize your costs are going way up or whatever the reason I, I I've been hearing I'm old so I've been hearing this for decades Sherry's gonna have its moment man Sherry's gonna I'm like no it's fucking not because it, it's just not it's not gonna have a moment it might have more um people may understand it better but it's never gonna have a moment it's not it's just it's it's it, timeless it's it's yeah that's true and I mean so right that, that yeah, could be that, part of it right yeah um yeah. So that yeah. So I I sell an unbelievable amount of sherry for my tiny restaurant, but I also did force feed it for the first year and a half, two years to people, free basically, so they could understand why I'm selling it. So yeah. you know that that was it was a labor of love basically. It was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna pour at least a little bit of this with certain dishes so that people can wrap their head around it. And what did you? What would you get back from people when you would pour them some sherry, and you'd kind of be like, hey, "Check, check this out. Notice how well this goes with your food." Uh, because you're right. A lot of times you wouldn't just sit around like watching the football game, and drinking sherry, or or like drinking sherry late into the night. Maybe we would. Yeah. We're weirdos. Right. Right. But uh, typically you would want it with food because yes. it complements food so well. So what what kinds of reactions did you get from people? When Surprise, you were, because yeah. I think that that most people. If they were li- slightly older, they thought it was Harvey's Bristol, Bristol Cream. Yeah. That was their idea of sherry. It was like their grandmother sipping on sweet wine in the corner and falling asleep. And and it, for so my chef had a dessert on the menu that was a burnt sugar crema catalana ice cream with potato chips and caviar. And it, oh, it paired so perfectly Very famous with, dessert. Yeah. Yes. Like mm-hmm. he got a lot of press for it. And, mm-hmm. and so I started pairing an amontillado or an oloroso with it. And, and, and I'd make the make i really actually would make them take a sip of this before you take a bite of this and then take a sip after and see how it changes because we've all been told by 
you know, psalms like, oh, the red wine changes when you take a bite of the meat. I'm like, no, it fucking doesn't. It just tastes good with the meat. Yeah, it just works. You know, like, it, it right. doesn't, you know there's no chemical, in my opinion, the whatever happens chemically in your mouth with white wine and sherry is far more measurable than it is with red wine. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. bioreactive. Right, exactly. Um, so it was really just getting people into that and then going, oh, because I think, look, the first time I ever had sherry when I was, you know, real sitting at a bar in Spain when in my 20s, I took a sip before I had, took out an olive or an almond or a tor- tortilla or whatever. I was like, holy fuck, how does anybody drink this? <laughs> like, there's no way, you know, it's like, it's not quite as bad as your first fernet, but it's up there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, why does this, did, I don't understand. Like, it smells like my grandmother's purse um, or like <laughs> or like her cedar closet. Because she had the know? cream sherry right, there. You know, like, or, you know, and then and then you're like, all right, you take, you bite, you, you know, eat an olive or eat an almond or, you know, eat some manchego cheese. And you're like, holy shit, this tastes completely different than when I just tried it before. Why is that the case? Yeah. And and then really it's just the historical relevance and and it's just such a fascinating uh, wine because it, you know it's just so complicated. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know the Fino and Manzanilla, which are basically not fortified at this point. I mean, there are California red wines that are seventeen percent alcohol. Yep. So at this point, and you know Fino and Manzanilla were an accident. You know they they didn't fill the barrel full enough. There's extra room in there. The floor grows crazy, and they're like, "Well, this is shit. We're gonna throw it away." And someone's like, "Well, hold on, my dear. I'm gonna try this." And you know, like, yeah. And they realized that the yeast on top was keeping it purified below. It's all so weirdly like a spring under under the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which we talked about on the Tricol episode. Um, And another thing, uh, before we get into a few, because we need to tell you about three just bedrock sherry cocktails. That would be really good introductions to uh, to sherry and it's and how really how easily you can use it in a cocktail. I do want to mention this was something that came up in the research during uh, the Moorish period in uh, in Spain. This would have been like in the 900s, 966. There was a king Al Hakam II, and he ordered the destruction. <laughs> you like my pronunciation there? Uh, there was uh, he ordered the destruction of uh, vineyards, but uh, the people of Jerez they appealed. They were like, "You guys eat raisins," and they were like, "Oh yeah, the soldiers do like the raisins." So they were able to save two thirds of the vineyards. But I mean, that could have changed drinking history right there. They wanted, he wanted to get rid of all of the vineyards in that area, and it was just the fact that his soldiers liked raisins. And that's what saved it. Um, so that's pretty crazy. I, I I don't trust people who like raisins. <laughs> right? You wouldn't have liked these Like, guys. if I see a dude with a box of raisins, I'm thinking serial killer. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah like, uh, like, you're a fucking really weird like, person. I like raisins in shit. I wouldn't know, like, where to go to find them at the grocery a store. A box of raisins? Like, uh, in yeah, the like, child section? I don't know. It's like, like, if it's a kid, it's fine. It's a bunch of little tiny boxes yeah. that are packaged together as one big mm. box. Um, Nathaniel, what do you think about raisins? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm from Minnesota, so I'm a Craisins guy. Craisins. Oh. Yeah. Regional. You're bringing a whole, you know, new tartness and oh, I love just a the... lot of nice soft chew to, you know, a salad or I gotta, <laughs> I gotta love that there's anything regional left in this country. You know, like, you know, people complain it's just a big blob of the same, of samity. 
Uh, uh, a so. funny thing happened when I was down in Charleston. You sent me a few recommendations, and uh, girlfriend and I were down at a bar, and you know we were talking to talk. So they're like, "Oh, are you industry?" And kind of telling him that I work for this gin, 100 Mill Street, and we're made from maple sap. That's the entire base of the spirit. Wow. Like what would become maple syrup? And the bartender was like, "Well, how do you make a whole gin out of a flavor?" And I'm like, "Well, no, it's like what comes out of the tree." And he's like. Wait, are you it. telling me that maple is coming out of a tree? Ah! Like it's like sugar that comes out of a tree? And I'm like, are you being serious right now? Because I didn't know that other people didn't know that. But also it's very much a part of the Northwoods and just our food history going way back to Native Americans and the only sugar source for winter and such. I'd have to it's add, the person yeah. you were talking to is an idiot. Like how how does someone not know? <laughs> yeah, what was his I'm name? I'm sorry, but <laughs> what was his what name? What the hell, his name man? Really thought it was a flavor for like a flavor additive. Jesus Christ, people Whoa. are dumb. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> That's hilarious. You haven't met me. I'm a bitter, angry man. If you're listening, I'm sure you're super cool. Um, Gosh, I would have I would have had a lot more questions for the guy. If, yeah. If, after that, like. Uh, well, at that point, you, you probably could have. Like, it's also an opportunity to like tell him anything. You could have told yeah, him anything. Like, that uh, yeah, oh yeah, you know that's how that's company. where people are born too. We make rocket come right out of the tree. Fuel. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the balls of a seal. <laughs> so uh, there are some incredible sherry cocktails out there. Three that come to mind for me, and I know that there's uh, actually four. But Nathaniel, I'm going to let you handle the tuxedo. But um, the sherry cobbler, which you're making right now at the restaurant, Craig, mm-hmm. over at Peninsula, sherry cobbler. Um, if you want to talk about sherry having its day, that was probably close back in the mid 1860s. People start drinking out of straws because they're drinking sherry cobblers, and that was a, a, a huge drink at the time. And then the bamboo is incredible. I think I'm going to do that recipe. We're going to throw it to Nathaniel in a minute for the Adonis, which is just one of the most simple but incredible cocktails. But let's talk sherry cobbler real quick. Um, how are you making yours, or what's a version that you like to make for the, for the people at home? Before I get into that, it just made me. You, you said four, and I'm, I think I was going through my head. I'm like, okay, uh, how old is the Trident? That can't be that old because it has peach bitters in it. Yeah, you, that's like a modern classic of the last. It, I mean, it's years or something. It's in one. Of, it's in Difford's Guide, so it can't be. Uh, whatever I don't know. I just it's the one I just thought of that we didn't mention when we were talking about before. Yeah, let's throw that one out too. Um, which is actually I'm just gonna. Manzanilla sherry, chinar, uh, akavit, and peach bitters. And I mean, it was actually that sounds like something Nathaniel would make. It, you yeah. made that cocktail, Nathaniel? Yeah, something pretty similar. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that it was a great. relatively known cocktail in Seattle, probably because of the akavit, right? Because there's so many Scandinavians in Seattle. So sure, but but yeah, but a cherry cobbler is fun for me, and I think it's because you can use any seasonal fruit. It's pretty open ended, is what you can do with it. And and yeah. that's why I like it. Like right now, I have raspberries, I have unfiltered manzanilla, and then amontillado in it, and a little bit of sugar, not a ton, but that changes every three or four months. I always keep it on menu. On I always tweak with the sherries. I I treat it kind of like a tiki drink almost. Oh sure. Without the sugar, in the sense that, all right, well, let's blend these two sherries together and see what it does for that fruit or whatever. Yeah, if you had crushed ice at your disposal which is a great way to make a sherry cobbler. All you need at that point is the three 
ounces. Well, it's the holidays. You could probably go four ounces, but three ounces of yeah. sherry yeah. and some some fruit to kind of garnish it. Or you could muddle it in there. You could shake it in there. Some citrus peels, a tiny bit of sugar, yeah. a tiny bit of sweetener. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. That's what's so cool about the sherry cobbler, I think, because it's, it's mostly sherry. I agree. It's a and good way you to can keep a sherry. I mean, you know, I, we could probably debate this amongst ourselves and with some Spaniards, but this this myth about sherry being bad after being opened in like two weeks is total nonsense. Yeah, I've never, yeah, I've never it's, noticed it's, that. It's ridiculous because yeah. if you're telling me that, then you're telling me that half of the Amaros on your back bar are bad. Yeah. Like right. it, it, it's oxidized. What, what do you mean it's going to go bad? Yeah. Someone, I had, I got Keep a- the cap on it. I got a, yeah, right. I got a really <laughs> expensive bottle of that rare wine company, uh, George Washington Sherry, the one that they released, or not, excuse uh, me, Madeira. 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 Yeah. Every mm. three years. And- I got accidentally put into a freezer and taken out, and I was like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen?" Then I thought to myself, "Well, nothing's going to fucking happen because it's supposed to be that way." Yeah, it's like, seen it's worse, like, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, um, I I think it's you know even I've gotten some pretty fa- high up Lustau people to admit to me that they couldn't tell the difference how long something's been open if it's been kept at consistent temperatures. Oh, that's cool. And Nathaniel, I want your take on that in, in later as we're talking about Spain. But um, you love the Adonis. I love it. It's a great one to yeah. kind of like just introduce people. Like here's here's two ingredients that you can throw in making make a great cocktail. But um, tell me about so mine, what you love. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, mine's a little bit more complicated. So uh, kind of background. We I was working at a uh, restaurant bar Travail, and we were doing a pop up for. Solera, which was a much-loved Minneapolis restaurant, obviously Spanish. Uh, Tim McKee, who's one of the first guys that won a James Beard from this region. And we kind of brought back their menu and basically gave me a chance to just, you know, do all these sherry drinks that maybe didn't always fit on every other menu. So the Adonis is generally dry sherry with sweet vermouth and then orange bitters. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm going to try to do as much as I can with sherry. And because sherry is simultaneously the driest wine in the world and the sweetest wine in the world, I'm actually using, if you did an ounce of Fino, an ounce of Oloroso, and then a half ounce of Pedro Jimenez, and then a half ounce of the East India Lustau sherry, you're basically substituting sweet vermouth for your sherries, which also are not just going to have a little touch of the like the sweetness, the roundness that you want. But you're adding just kind of that oxidized flavor of the Oloroso, which is a little bit more present. And you're getting this like very much more nuanced waves of flavor style of Adonis. Obviously, you got, you know, a couple of dashes of orange bitters to round it off too. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about that recipe is that you can just grab instead of, you know, your ounces, just turn that to cups, throw it in a fridge. And then, you know, you're entertaining. It's going to pair well with any kind of like your Thanksgiving, Christmas any kind of poultries, a lot of the different side dishes, and you can just pour it straight over rocks. Oh, that's it's yeah, it's a great little sherry world. punch, a little Adonis punch. And yeah. that would be incredible with like uh, just like the finger foods that you might have out at the beginning too. And it's also like it drinks like something that it is not, which it is not an old-fashioned, it is not a Manhattan. But if you have an uncle that's like, no, nah, I only drink bourbon, Give him one of these on a rock, and he's going to enjoy it just as much as he would a Manhattan or whatever. Yeah, a lot of those same it, it savory. Like uh huh. Savory, like slightly sweet. So you said something that I feel like will jump out to some of our listeners. You said uh, it's both the the driest wine and the sweetest wine. So tell me, tell me just yeah. what you mean by that, since we're talking about so all these different styles. 
Your Fino and your Manzanilla are literally the least sugared wines and the driest wines in the world. So your pairing is going to be completely different. So with your Fino, is, it's, it's massive. You can do for aperitivos, you can do with vegetables, you can do with seafood and especially like Japanese cuisine goes really well, whether it's like grilled or fried or raw, but it's a great way to start the meal. And that's mm. oftentimes how it's considered where it's not necessarily aperitivo or vermouth, but mm. it's just kind of like once you're starting to eat and sip at the same time, that's the wine that you're actually going to want with all these almonds and then this meat and such. Mm-hmm. And then once you get into, you know, your Moscatels, your Pedro Jimenez, your creams, that's a ton of extra sugar added. So you're going to have an entirely different style of sherry. And for example, that East India that I mentioned, it was pretty similar to like how an IPA works where you add all that hops because you have to send it to India. You're also going to be adding a bunch of sugar and fortification so that, you know, it's a style that would last on a boat for months at a time. And you're keeping everyone, all the sailors and everyone that's working on the ship happy because they're able to drink it, this sherry for a lot longer. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and you know, you are linking and I never kind of thought about this as much. I've definitely taught cocktail making this way, but the similarities between rum and sherry are, are so like, especially in the world of creation, right? Like why you're using three different rum blend blends. As oh, sure. Well. Oh yeah. And they're both Solera. Uh-huh. So, or you know, not all rum, but yeah. some, you know, so yeah. it actually makes that, this is, I'm sort of having this realization that like, yeah, I mean, that's the way it should, that's the way I taught bartenders in the past, but that's the way it should be taught. Like, when don't you feel like they probably notice sailors behave so much better on sherry yeah. than rum? <laughs> they were like, "Oh shit, right. we need to have this sherry around more often." Yeah. These guys are actually right. acting normal. Right. <laughs> right. It, yeah, that's probably true. Okay, one more is the bamboo, which is one of my favorites. Um, I featured it in my second book. Had a version of it in there, but basically. One and a half ounces of a dry sherry, so you can do, like we were saying, fino or manzanilla. And then one and a half ounces of dry vermouth. And then maybe a dash of Angostura bitters, dash of orange bitters. If you have other bitters around, um, like we've been here at the house, we've been making martinis with uh, Dram's Palo Santo bitters that are just incredible. Hmm. Um, that would be great with this too. And you just serve that up. So uh, you stir it, serve it up into a chilled coop. Garnished with a lemon twist. That's an easy, incredible aperitivo drink um, that would really get you salivating for food in a way that could be pretty intense with all that dryness. You could even add a little tiny bit of pinch of salt in there. But that's the bamboo. So a lot of the best sherry cocktails are super simple. Do you want to give us a uh, tuxedo recipe there, Nathaniel, with the 100 Mill Street Gin? Actually, I was thinking of just something <laughs> even simpler since I made the Adonis pretty complicated compared yeah. to what it usually is. Um, just the gin and it. Uh, so it's again, on my our, menu. Yeah. Our gin is made with uh, maple sap, which gives it this like incredible mouthfeel, this roundness, almost like an umami kind of thing. Mm. And that kind of gets lost if you make it with um, a more shaken drink because the aeration is taking away from that mouthfeel. So something super simple and a lot of drinkers, at least in Minneapolis when I'm tasting – they're like, you know, this old fashioned is phenomenal. This Negroni is phenomenal. What else can I make with this gin? And I'm like, honestly, the simplest thing, equal parts gin and just use Pedro Jimenez or the East India as a vermouth replacement, just equal parts. Mm-hmm. And that that savoriness, that roundness, those 
those flavors are just going to pair super well. And again, you couldn't ask for something easier for entertaining people. And when you're adding that gin to the proof, kind of on the the tip of like the sherry is not going to go bad. It's especially not going to go bad if you add, you know, 40% alcohol to it. Yeah. So you can just have it in your fridge indefinitely, just in a bottle that you don't ever have to worry about it going bad. And then the second someone comes over, pour it just as easily as you would a wine. So Ready just equal parts, gin and it is incredible. That's great. And Craig's got it on the menu. Yeah, I don't use sherry in the gin and it, though. Okay. No, I use the traditional actual recipe. But but that that sounds great. I mean, it sounds amazing. Could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so our two guests today, Craig and Nathaniel, they both have been to Spain, um, as have I. You know, you notice how, how different drinking and eating is over there and how much uh, more advanced they are <laughs> just in that. I'm going to knock off for a while, I'll take a siesta, I'm going to knock off, and then I'm going to have two dinners, and I'm going to drink, and then I think, as you said on the episode that you guessed it on years ago, <laughs> an eight ball. Uh, yes, for sure. Yeah, two little coke <laughs> yeah. to stay up all night and yeah. party. Yeah. Must um, be expensive in Europe. You were back there in the 80s, but... Nah. <laughs> but uh, Nathaniel, so you're fresh off of your trip to Spain and checking yeah. out that whole region and everything. What was your... Initially, so you started out in Madrid... So I basically Incredible. flew into Madrid and then took the train down to Jerez de Frontera. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, a guy, uh, Mario, was able to take me around with Lustau. Um, he basically did the entire Sherry Triangle with me. He was able to take me out to the vineyards. We went to several of the bodegas, went to this really amazing place. It was just like a lunch spot, El Maison de Paco mm-hmm. in Jerez, which was like, incredible the food and the drink and he kind of actually clarified a lot of the things that i thought i kind of understood like the siesta and all of that where it's like it's not really about like not working or taking time to yourself in the way that i kind of considered it it was more like it's it's basically you're only so close to africa right you're Mm sub-saharan in jerez Mm. and it's so hot during the day especially in summer months that you're not going to get work done so if you're not going to get work done you might as well go home Mm -hmm. and then you know if you're just going to be going home you can yeah stop for a beer and get out of the sun and then from there you know you go back get a little bit more work done and then the sun is set so now you can actually move around freely without sweating and you know being uncomfortable and that's when everyone wants to come out is because they might have been inside all day yeah, and it's you know you're it's like Miami able yeah. to move. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we're not that different. You know, I feel no. like Americans justify that too. They're like, well, it's going to be super hot, so I'm not going to get work done. I'm going to go home. No, but, but I, if I'm not going to work, that means I could drink. I mean, until the early. <laughs> like, I, mean, we, yeah. I mean, until the earliest part of the 20th century, Americans lived like that. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't work in the hottest part of the day. They either ate a big lunch, took a nap, and then worked after. Like our sleeping schedules. If you start reading about how people slept, oh yeah, people less used to do than a hundred years ago. Yeah, second sleep. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. fucking four hours, then go say hello to your neighbor at like 1.30 in the morning, and then go back to sleep. I'm like, that is a cool schedule. Yeah, I'm gonna well, get I mean, up. We... I'm gonna get up and smoke a joint. Yeah. and read. Yeah, totally. <laughs> We definitely know about the history of all the New Orleans drinks, too. The Sazerac is refreshing because of the absinthe rinse, pre-ice, pre-refrigeration. The Ramos is a reviver cocktail that you can drink and still then go to work. Totally. Liquid air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, and honestly, like being in New Orleans and loving that city, a lot of Spain, you can tell that it was actually a Spanish city. So oh, wow. to me, that's like the parallel that's of neat. walking around and seeing the cobblestones. And then, 
uh, some of the things that I'm going to take away and I just want to share with people are mm-hmm. just how incredible the systems of not only just Jerez and the Sherry Triangle, but just the wine production are because they're hundreds of years old. They were perfected a long time ago. So walking around like Bodega, Bodega Lestau is these very high columns, gravel floors, very specific type of gravel that's antimicrobial, but also cooling. Mm. Mm. And then they have these really in between all the buildings, just very narrow lanes. And those are literally just so that, you know, for one, the sun can't beat down on the side of a building all day Mm. because it's so high that, you know, you're not getting like a full wall of sun, Mm -hmm. but then you're also getting these really cool drafts of air that are going through there, which are keeping all of your sherries at a a manageable temperature, which is also just like, okay, that's so simple. Why don't Americans do things like that? And it's like those, those indigenous architectures of like, there's a special type of buildings that are built in like Martinique and the Bahamas that are hurricane resistant. Mm -hmm. And they also have lye on the, the roof, which reflects heat. So you're keeping it, you know, cooler. And then they also have water drainage where they can hold water and it gets purified with that lye. And when there was a bunch of hurricanes this last year in Miami and Florida, there was actually communities that were starting to get built this way. And all of those houses were 100% fine. Wow. And I mean, similar to New Orleans, like all of the new houses where it was, you know, drywall and wood, those are the houses that got all the black mold and everything after Katrina versus the oldest houses are actually the ones that totally survived the flood. Yeah. And so like walking around in Spain feels like that. And on a personal level, one of the reasons that Sherry is so interesting to me is I've always loved spirits. I think it's absolutely insane. Can I say fuck on this podcast? You yeah, bet. Fuck, say yeah. a lot said of it, fuck. I've said it like 30 <laughs> times. Well, it's been it's four minutes. It's incredible that <laughs> a long time ago, some person figured out that if you hyperheat something and then cool it quickly, you can have apples that literally are shelf stable or medicines that are shelf stable or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's an incredible achievement as far as humanity and just like preserving things. And sherry is almost the opposite. Whereas wine is fascinating because it's living and breathing inside the bottle and changing and it's good for a month and then it might be bad, but then it's going to be great 10 years later. Sherry is like right in between those two things where you have this soil, the abarintha, which like, not only reflects light, it yeah, absorbs it's like a heat, chalk. it's drought resistant. Mm. Yeah, it's chalky. And then it, it literally, like, when it gets wet and then dries, it turns into a rock that you can like crumble, but it keeps doing that. And the, the vines themselves are, this is not a great wine in a traditional sense. So you have this tree that's not, it's more like a bush. It doesn't produce a ton of grapes, the Palomino. Mm. They're not super delicious on their own as food or as wine. But then what do you do? You figure out that, oh, well, actually, we can oxidize it. And then if we take a little bit of the older stuff and add it to the newer stuff and vice versa and this Solera system, and then what if we add a little bit and all of a sudden you have kind of the stability of spirit mixed with the living, breathing part of wine, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Like it's as far as just an achievement of like making the best with what you have. Well, and I think, too, is, uh, it's like believing in that deadbeat kid down the street. Yeah, he's gonna turn it around. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I am on my street. Uh, and also, uh, in, in in my research, the the wine that wine region that you were in, it goes back three thousand years, over three thousand years. Yeah. Uh, the Phoenicians kind of introduced wine to that area, 
So, but who were, who were the Phoenicians? What's what's up with them? They were like the early Phoenix Suns. So before they, yes. <laughs> before, before they were West Charles, Charles Brock, before Charles the racist Barkley. owner. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Um, yeah, but I think uh, your point's amazing because they're making all these different products and different wines from that same from those same grapes or from a couple of different. Yeah, grapes. and I mean, yeah. I think Americans just because culturally this is what we value and kind of comes up a lot like we just have this love affair with italy and most people understand that true italian food is not always like the best it's very rustic it's using all parts of any animal it's using a lot of things that aren't necessarily like glamour ingredients in like Mm -hmm. a traditional like french cuisine not that there aren't you know french peasant dishes and such but like the way that we think of it gastronomically Mm -hmm. and honestly spain's exactly the same where a lot of the foods are just passed down generation, 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 and they're very humble, but they're just very uniquely flavorful. And this is just another takeaway that I had, which is different for me from you guys, because going down to Charleston, I couldn't believe how just nice everyone was and polite and friendly. And, and dumb. I know that's, you know, <laughs> I honestly thought everyone was great. But Minnesota is a very unique place where For one, we're mostly settled by, you know, Scandinavians who tend to be pretty cold people because for thousands of years you're walking around, you can't stop and say hi to your neighbor because the cold will kill you six Mm -hmm. months out of the year. So you just kind of have a little bit more standoffishness. And then also just the way that this city works is you have to drive everywhere. So in the middle of winter, you're not going to stop at a place for apps, put all your coats and everything back on, go out to a place for dinner, put all your coat and stuff back on. You want to go to a spot. It has all of the things you want. Yeah. And unfortunately, that kind of means like big portions and like ubiquitous, uncreative menus, essentially. Like people here do get mad if you don't have their style of light beer or their brand of vodka or like chocolate cake with ice cream. Like that's a real thing. Uh-huh. Or brandy. But in Spain, it's like, <laughs> oh man, they there's like 90-year-old people especially in the city of Cadiz, which is a seaport town. It's one of the oldest towns in all of Europe, actually. Mm. I was just out at past midnight, and there's, like, kids out. There's 90-year-old people out just hanging out. Like, it just seemed like everyone was out Yeah. in a way that, like, I just don't see in Minneapolis for sure. Mm-hmm. But I don't really think in America it's, like, normalized or not even maybe demonized to just, I got to get out, man. I want to go... Well, and I'm Grab sh- a little bite, yeah. have a thing, talk to someone, meet someone, and not in a negative way where it's judgmental. And I think that just goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, especially if you consider how hot it is in those apartments sometimes. Of course they want to get out as soon as it's not that hot. Yeah, and they're more protective, I feel like, of just that kind of way of life or just that kind of appreciation. Like They're kind of protective of that, whereas like it seems like we're protective of different shit over here well, yeah but but also let's be honest <laughs> Let me say I mean, it that way <laughs> spain was pretty much under a dictatorship until the 80s yeah so yeah. there's there's so it's that like, it's new you know like yeah, yeah like, some of that is new you know you yeah. couldn't go see a stanley kubrick movie until yeah. like the 90s so you know like i i think that's, that's when they got good yeah. Yeah. yeah right right <laughs> <laughs> good one you're an eyes wide shut guy uh <laughs> that's a christmas movie yeah, totally um so nathaniel what was a what was a dining experience that you had like a food and drink sort of epiphany that, you know, you're not really going to get over here, even though it's probably easier with restaurants like Craig's Peninsula over here. 
Um, sure. What was a dining experience that you had that you were just like, oh my God, I'm not getting this anywhere. This is blowing my I mind. Mean, I mentioned yeah. the El Mason de Paco, which is just a, it's a family owned little, I, I mean, the closest would be like a pub. And it had a, you know, a lot of bullfighting kind of like memorabilia. And that's where a lot of the bullfighters used to go and hang out. And just some of the foods were like, I, I've worked at a Mediterranean restaurant, um, Saffron here in the Twin Cities. So I was familiar with a lot of it. But then there was these things like there's this one, uh, it's called adobo. And it's made from deep fried cazone, which is like a mako shark. Whoa. So they literally chop up this mako shark and then cure it in lemon and oil for several days. And then it gets this very light breading and then it's deep fried. Mm. And it's not deep fried in the way that I think of like American things are deep fried with like heavy crust or like a chicken would be. Yeah. And it ends up having this like it's the simplest thing. It's just bright lemon and olive oil and a little touch of crunch. But then it's so soft inside and like, you know, seafoods. It's just salty. Mm-hmm. And just that compared to, you know, you have like pulpo or any kind of like other um, crustaceans and you're just like with the sip of the sherry, especially like a manzanilla, which has that little bit of the saltiness from being by the ocean. It's just like this whole, wow, I can't believe how simple that is. And one of the weird things is like I didn't gain any weight the entire time I was in Spain. And part of it was walking around a ton. Uh, but I drank and ate my ass off while I was Yeah, there. but you like, do I have was... gout now. That's the problem. Is there's no fucking <laughs> greens anywhere, man. Like, I, I, I love eating over there for weeks at a time, but then I'm like, oh, my God, I need something green, dude. Like, holy crap. Like <laughs> They're just acclimated to it. Huh? Yeah. I don't yeah. understand it. Like, my name, I don't understand how everyone doesn't have gout. Yeah. If you're eating non- nonstop langoustines and drinking sherry of all types all the time, I'm just like, holy crap, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, yeah. Like you're sweating. I, and, I was yeah. warned of that, that there would be very little vegetables, and I actually didn't really run into that a ton. Oh, my God. I've spent like, so much time in, in Spain, and I've had so many issues where I was like, I would kill for vegetables. Mm. <laughs> I was on the lookout for it, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there was even a place, uh, I think it was Angelita in Madrid, which was kind of a higher-end fine dining spot, and one of the dishes was literally just tomato. And it wasn't really dressed. It might have had just a little drizzle of olive oil and a little pinch of some kind of nicer sea salt, like a Malden or something. And it was incredible. It was it was like the Olvera, like Puyol mole, where it was like the simplest thing, mm. but just presented on its own. You're like, wow, this ingredient is just incredible and so different than especially non-heirloom tomatoes, like a Subway sandwich tomato in in America. Mm-hmm. Like that's not even in the same food realm at all like there's no flavor to that item in america and in spain it was so good that it was that was it that was just the dish it was just tomato well so in and, for d- drinking wise um in in these places you were at were you noticing that yeah. like oh I'm, I'm out here i'm in sherry country everybody's drinking sherry was it like that or was there were you seeing more of the vermouth culture which is big out there you got vermouth bars uh, you got I gin was, and tonics when I was in andalusia so when I'm in uh, Jerez and then also, you know, the three points, which changed actually while I was there, they actually added new uh, places where sherry can come from legally now. But San Lucar and then uh, El Puerto, it was definitely a lot of sherry. And then, you know, light beers, your regional beer that they have mm-hmm. is also a thing. But I was kind of noticing that there was no ciders, which is obviously more of a Basque thing. Mm-hmm. Cocktails weren't, I mean, unless you're going specifically to a cocktail bar, 
it's not really a big thing and they're not really set up for it mm-hmm. where the you know almost like a dive bar would be like yeah we don't have that so we can't make that yeah um because yeah it's it's just sherry is everywhere and stopped at this place um el Calajon in uh santa maria and this guy tupac kirby is his name he actually moved his bar from madrid uh during pandemic because he can get an entire bottle of sherry for one dollar so he just switched his entire menu to be sherry cocktails and that was one of the only places that had cocktail cocktails that i went to that's neat um the vermouth once i went up to madrid and then definitely like walking around in uh when you're in San Sebastian and Barcelona, vermouth is definitely a thing that's delicious and incredible because it's so cheap mm-hmm. and so many places have it where it's almost like you just in America, like if you're in an urban area, walk into a bodega and they have their own specific, like they're making it themselves. It's oxidized. It's not always even being kept in the refrigerator. It's just there. Yeah. And yeah, one or two euro. Luckily, while I was there, the euro is equal to the dollar. And so you can just, yeah, I need a, I need a quenching, you know, hit. I'm mm-hmm. just going to stop in get out of the sun. I'm just going to have one vermouth. You can have 20 of them in a day and you're never going to get drunk. It's just the most sessionable thing ever. Mm-hmm. But then it also, you're getting so prepped for eating food later that like now, like since coming back, I start almost every time I go out with just a little bit of vermouth, like sweet vermouth. If you have an orange, cool. If not, it doesn't even really have to be on the rocks. I'll just drink it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a very cool thing to be able to go to, especially because there's so many more places around and so many people walking around that, yeah, just pop in a dozen well, you can, times. You can finally get, you can finally get a, a lot of that vermouth now over here. So I sell it, you know, in the first couple of years, I focused so much on selling sherry that worked. Now I sell sure. so much vermouth. I, I, and I, and I'm able to get, I don't know, six or eight different types of Spanish vermouth now, whereas if you had told me that 10 years ago, I mean, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty amazing the last five years yeah. like, as much. Yeah. Um, and we're drinking right now, speaking of the style, we're drinking their Fino Sherry. Just incredible. Fucking delicious. Nice straw, straw color. Fino, Fino's like, uh, I don't know, like, especially this one, it's like perfect for cocktails or by itself. Alcohol, con- like, like uh, there's some subtleties to it, but the alcohol content hits perfectly typically for any cocktail addition. I love doing a gin and tonic mixed with Fino Sherry. I do it. So, I have one on mm. my menu. Yep. I, I, I yeah, always, it, and, and the great thing is, is that, and you're you known know, for gin and tonics there. Let's yeah, just say I mean, that I you got eight or seven. Nine of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, also the Finos are so different from version to version. Like I have a Fino that's actually made from P, uh, Pedro Jimenez grapes from uh, Toro. Uh, uh, what is it? Toro Bravo. The, mm. And and it's completely different. It's viscosity is different. It's, you know, it, it's all, it's pretty cool. Well, I, Lustau's is a little more complex, I feel like. It's not as, like, yeah. light as no, some the of them. No, the Valdespinos like, are, taste like are, much. No, the, yeah. I, well, yeah, those two. But the Valdespino Finos are, in my opinion, the best. And they're, there's a lot of salinity going on. It's it's a lot of umami and in, in salinity. And whereas this one is a little more, it's oddly rich. I forgot. It, yeah. might, it has a little to do with the temperature. I think we're drinking it at. But could be. But but it, it is more. It's darker than I remember, and it's also richer than I remember. So. Yeah, it's delicious. So another thing to bring up that I was unaware of, uh, Mario uh, Gonzalez, the guy that's taking me around from Lustau. I had never like I've heard of the Enramas, which are the raw sherries, and yeah. they're they're cool. I, I mean, they're unique and they're interesting to me, but 
we're already yeah having a hard enough time getting people onto Sherry to add that whole other thing is like it's kind of for nerds I would say more than anyone or enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. But uh, they have this whole line that I was unaware of of the uh, almasinistas, which mm-hmm. is basically like specific bottlings of specific barrels or places. And so essentially, it's almost like a single barrel program. Mm. Um, do you guys have that? I have. All, I have all. I have the all of them. And actually, what the almasanista means is, uh, let's say Nathan Nathaniel, you brought your your unaged fino to Listau to age it, and then yeah. so you're the almasanista. So it's all these tiny little, you know, probably backyard producers that just bring their wine totally. to Listau to at. I have all of them, and I. My That's favorite awesome. sherry on the planet is the Lustau Manzanilla Masanista. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most complex, the most. Is that the one that tastes like mushrooms almost? It's like mushroomy it's this, and like, salty super... and hazelnutty, yeah. really hazelnutty. It's 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 so fantastic. I probably serve more of that than any other sherry. Wow, that sounds great for yeah, the holidays. And, and, and they might actually be available to a minor degree or once in a while up in Minnesota. But yeah, the it's just the. Well, demand might not be here. Well, they don't make a lot of it either. Awesome that you're bringing them too, because oh, yeah, yeah. it's for people that love sherry. Like I was tasting, yeah, finos that for some reason tasted like manzanillas, or this amontillado that almost tasted like it had like a bourbon mixed into it or something. Like yeah. a mm. proof. It wasn't. It wasn't overpowering. It was just like a totally different thing. Where I'm like, it's like when I took my SOM test, and I was like, I don't know if I know enough about this to explain like what's happening because this is so weird. But mm-hmm. in a positive way where it's like you're expanding what you think you know. And then the next time you try a straight up Amontillado, you're going to be like, oh, okay, I definitely understand that now that I understand what it isn't. But those were super amazing. And then trying a bunch of the um, VORSs was incredible. Like my, if I'm about to get executed by the state, I'm having an Amontillado. Like that's the thing I'm going to have right before I go. <laughs> what is the, what, most, what the like, fuck did you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He killed somebody I, I, in I, Spain. I, I, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it low for what vegetables. Would be a revolutionary in Spanish times during the uh, Franco regime. So does the form of execution depend on like does that does the sherry depend on how you get executed? Well, yeah, I guess if you are gonna be hung. You're like, I can taste the sherry. That's yeah, right. Like, right, right. Just make sure right you swallow. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. Right Do you know there. what they traditionally, in Spain, they traditionally feed you before an execution? Vegetables. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh. Okay. It's the last yeah, little can. fuck you. I thought you were going to say the, the really good subway in Cadiz. <laughs> well, so you mentioned Amontillado and how special it is. We haven't hit that one a ton, and that one does get used a lot. Um, I've used it a lot in drinks. It's very, I don't know. I think it's malleable. Like you can use it in a lot of different cocktails, but what do you love about Amontillado, Nathaniel? What, what do you think sets it apart? What, what makes it unique? Cause you have Fino Manzanilla on one side, the dry, the light straw colored ones. Yeah. And then you've got on the other side, Pedro Jimenez, you've got Oloroso. It's just, there's something about it that it's so piquant, nutty, Mm-hmm. nutty relatable yeah. but also like it's it's something slightly funkier there's a lot more going on than in a fino which is kind of straightforward and clean and that's its benefit mm-hmm. this is just going to be a little bit different and then the way i always describe gin and the way that you're adding the botanicals is almost like a burr when you're walking through a forest and it catches onto your leg like those 
points are the things that catch other flavors. Mm. So with more going on and more complexity, it actually can pair with more things. So like the, what I always used to say is that restaurant that I worked at Saffron, Sam A. Wadi's restaurant, he had this octopus a la plancha mm. with, you know, your pimentone smoked paprika, that, and then just like the sherry would just be, that's how I want to go. Like that Dynamite. crunch, that chew, that smoky paprika, like, and then just like wash it with that sweet nutty, but not overly sweet and not too strong Amontillado. That's just, that's, the way I want to go, bro. You got to eat a and, peninsula, like yeah. Uh, that's what I was, I was Craig, thinking that earlier. I was like, man, Craig, if Nathaniel comes to town, he is gonna have yeah, an amazing meal. I, I run the best subway in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kenneth, we, do me a favor. Say the word P E C A N. Oh, uh, what truckers do? No, just say the word. You say it. Pecan. You say pecan. Yeah. Okay. You too? Yeah, pecan. It's weird. I'm from Brooklyn. I say pecan. pecan. Yeah. Pecan but is what truckers pecan do. Pecan I, I sound like a redneck. I'm like, what the fuck? Why do I say it like that? I don't understand. What do you I say up like, there in Minnesota, Nathaniel? He said pecan. No, pecan, he said yeah. pecan. No, I say, you know, like- I say I said pecan, it. but my family that's Mexican down from like El Paso, uh, New Mexico, it's pecan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, right. I thought Smith was a Mexican name. I, I was I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's full. Dude, uh, Pekin is. I, I'm going to start. I'm going to start. I'm going to use Pekin from now on. Pekin. Yeah, get some Pekin. I'm going to make Pekins. everyone like feel peanuts. like they're yeah. pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, totally. And then we'll move on to another one. <laughs> yeah. Like. Uh, also, I don't know if this. We'll is, just spell I, it. You like can you cut did. this out if this is inappropriate. But I feel like Saffron is the name of a Mediterranean restaurant or a gay bar. There's no in between at all. Oh, that's the Seville actually up here where uh, someone will be like, yeah, do you want to go to that nice Spanish restaurant, (laughs) Seville, and it's actually a strip club? Oh, okay. I just, I don't know. I don't know why. I just think that. I don't know. You're like, is it Seville? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's the Seville. It's Seville. Eat some pecans. It's definitely the Seville, yeah. So let's talk about Solera systems here because this is what really makes... um, (laughs) <laughs> All right, reel them, reel them in. Sorry. Reel them in. Reeling us in from the strip club. Let's talk about <laughs> what we order at the strip club now. Harvey's beer <laughs> in the bottle. Uh, <laughs> Harvey's. Well, here great. nothing because you got to bring your own booze. It's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Yeah, ever? it's in my pocket. It's a bottle of Fino. I don't understand. <laughs> well, the only time to go to a strip club in Nashville is uh, it's almost upon us. It's the play in NFL playoffs. Like. Uh, I'm there. A lot of screens. Yeah. Oh, I'm a lot so of screens. No one's there. Like, NFL uh, ticket. Nice. Yeah. Just throw some money over there, and I just don't understand. I'll be how over you, here watching this game. How do you ladies. make money at a strip bar if you don't sell booze? It's the weirdest uh, thing. Pro- in the prostitution. <laughs> oh, That's usually extra money. That's not. <laughs> how shall I edit this? <laughs> This is a new segment. How shall I edit this? By <laughs> aren't we doing that? The sherry pop up at the Crazy Horse? Aren't we doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. On the day they're closed. Yeah. If we <laughs> could give it a little nor- notoriety. It could probably catch on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down. So that's what... how Sherry's finally gonna break. That's yeah. gonna be the the never mind Nirvana moment of Sherry when punk breaks. <laughs> oh, totally. And we'll... is the strip club. <laughs> Yeah, and well, I mean, that would make sense if you're doing a sherry pop-up. If you're doing a sherry pop-up at a strip club, Nirvana is the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, and I, gu- I, I guarantee you Portland, because the strip clubs in Portland are fucking incredible, I guarantee you they've had a sherry pop-up at a, sh- a strip club in Portland. And I, be- I guarantee I you guarantee- Nirvana was played. <laughs> yes. Mud Honey, Nirvana. I'm yeah, glad we could yeah. get there. Decemberists, yes. But the Solera system is what makes uh, sherry so unique. 
I'm sure you saw, you know, some of these old warehouses, yeah. barrel houses. Uh, but but basically, just Solera, to kind of get back into, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Those bodegas. I mean, like it's just incredible how right they got it so long ago. With you know, I kind of mentioned just like those passageways, and then also, you know, the the ground and the way that they keep everything uh, temperature regulated. But even like just seeing, yeah, these big the actual Solera's in different spots because every single like it's it's all about microclimate mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about your floor um or the protective yeast because literally from one end of your bodega to the other end might have a totally different yeast just because of temperature differences or you know uh that's super cool in san lucar or uh el puerto like those are totally different yeasts that are growing even though they're right by each other I mean, not right by each other, but they're pretty close as far as proximity. But it's entirely different microclimates, like within the actual bodegas themselves. And then it's just this kind of self-regulating system where it's guided by humans, but it just does its own thing. Where there's even like spider webs on a lot of stuff, which I was like, what's the deal with all this? And he's like, well, the spiders would eat any kind of mites or anything that would get into the barrels. So they're protecting the barrels. Oh wow! And there used to be cellar dogs and cellar cats that would just walk around and just keep, you know, rats and other, you know, vermin out. And they were just allowed to just hang out. And the weird thing now is the one that I went to was hundreds of years old, but they're still building new bodegas all over the place. But it's kind of that thing where now government regulation steps in and they're like, oh, well, you can't have this kind of floor. You have to have a floor that, you know, can be washed and moppable and all of that stuff. And it's like, well, now you're just turning it into kind of like this soulless, like factory type thing. It's like in America when we stopped having like all the cheeses needed to be, you know, pasteurized. And it's like, dude, we've been doing this for thousands of years. People have had tons of unpasteurized cheeses. Yeah. It's not the issue. Like just let it do what it's supposed to do. And the Solaris system is the perfect example of like, whoever the first genius was that was able to figure out if you take 50% of this and then add it to the next Criadera and then the next Criadera. And like, then at the end, you're just getting like little bits of what is potentially 300 year old cherry mm-hmm. in your average cherry. Like mm. it's the thing that like bourbon does, which is they find their specific flavor and then they, they blend until they get back to that flavor and it just pairs and matches every single year. And like how incredible that is to have every single one work that way. But also you have those little bits from back then too. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up bourbon because that is, that's a big like example of how it's done in this country, how we're using that kind of same system. But you mentioned the floor being so important because that's what Solera refers to, which means on the ground. Um, But tell us just, just go back and, and what exactly, um, just for people who don't know, what exactly are they doing with the Solaris system in terms of blending? So they're using older, really old uh, batches of this sherry that's sitting in these barrels. They're using the really old ones to blend it with the really new ones to get to a flavor that is going to be consistent that they can produce year in, year out. And that's why they use yeah. this older one. But yeah. And, and again, that's just such a unique system for... You know, we had these grapes that maybe weren't world-class grapes and then we let them, you know, kind of go off a little bit. And then we took a little bit from here and here and here just because some years you're not going to get the same yields, especially back before, you know, you have your entire industrialized system of agriculture. But you can just continuously just take 50% from your bottom and move it up and move it up. And then all of a sudden you're getting like different 
blends of yeah just it, you're perfecting it each time well, most, and letting it rest in each of them well and most of the time you what you're doing and, and and this is the way i've described it to people who really can't wrap their head around it yeah if you have a straight 20 foot or not maybe not 20 feet but several feet high of barrels right mm-hmm. the newest cherry is going to be on the top and then yep. you're just coming you're going down the line so that the bottom one actually is going to have the oldest amount of oldest cherry in it right <laughs> sure there are some back steps sometimes but that's not the most common way to do it most of the time they're pinching 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 and going down the line um and the other thing i was gonna say is like you know first of all when i first went to spain uh, i grew up in new york a bodega is very different in spain than it is in new york <laughs> except yeah. for the cats and cobwebs <laughs> that is the only thing nice. that is similar i was like oh i get this part of it but yeah bodegas are not really the same but yeah i i you know, it's funny, like, when you think about, again, going back to rum, especially um, Guyanese rum, which is, they basically are doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, you're drinking- El Dorado. Yeah, you're drinking, yeah. in some cases, you know, 75-year-old rum, or, you know, maybe it's a minuscule amount, but mm-hmm. it's essentially the same thing. And actually, for a, it makes a lot of sense. I almost wish someone would do that more with whiskey. Like, I know they blend whiskeys, but they don't ever blend it in the same... They, then they're just taking two age statements and combine them together or whatever. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but I think, not necessarily bourbon, but I, I think it'd be interesting if someone actually really fully uncommitted to that. Like, I don't know how you'd price it. Yeah, well, because there are a lot of, like, 23-year-old, 21-year-old, 18-year-old bourbons that, like... Um, for the tasters are not perfect. They have a lot of problems. Well, it's never flaws. supposed to be that age and that then, long. It's stupid. But they can work that in and, yeah. and add like a tea-like complexity. Right. That's what I always thought was fascinating. You mentioned Guyanese rum. The Eldorados, like the 8-year, the 12-year, the 15-year, they all kind of have, and those can be affordable for being really nice rums, especially the 8-year, which is one of the most affordable rums you can buy that tastes I, the eight and twelve year. I think, in my opinion, they're two of the top best. Two of ten. the best. It, yeah, I, I don't. And I, I don't feel like it's a, like a T note, and it's like yeah. a little T note that you get that you would get in like a really good homemade, possibly over extracted like sweet tea. Yeah, you know, it's like this is my grandma's sweet tea. Well, I think they have and, the oldest continual uh, coffee still as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On a yeah, side I've seen note, pictures of it. It's on, crazy. On a side note, I had a shitty guest recently that asked me to uh, <laughs> to make her a non alcoholic old fashioned. Ah. Got, got her a glass of tea. <laughs> like a little iced tea, a non sweet tea. Just got her a glass of tea and like. So but, you yeah, didn't like, say on a rock, what do you mean? But, <laughs> you just did it. Yeah, yeah, he's a professional. See, that's the difference between you and I. I, pro- I applaud you for that because I would have been like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" I had a woman the other day ask that, me. If oh, it, well, like I had to walk that away. Before. I walked away to get the tea so that I wouldn't do that. Oh, okay. that's what was I was thinking, and so at first I, I was walking away, I and gotcha. then I was like, well, "I'll grab a tea." Gotcha. And as you and, walked away, you're uh, like, and I was like, "All oh, right, I got the smart ass answer, lady." I had a woman ask me the other night if the Tennessee, if the lobster in our dish was from Tennessee. Oh yeah, and I'm like, are you fucking serious? I thought she was the Tennessee River. Ain't that weird? I'm like, oh my god. Let's talk like food pairings. I know you've done a lot of food pairings with Sherry Craig. What? um, And then I'll come back to you, Nathaniel, with like maybe some pairings stuff that you might have learned over there and stuff you might be doing for the holidays this year. But Craig, you've paired a lot of food with a lot of Sherry. In terms of what people might be kind of eating, general stuff around the holidays and just like stuff that people eat at their house, not necessarily the beautiful lobster dish or the the tomato toast, which is 
ineffable mm-hmm. at uh, Peninsula. Uh, but but what other pairings do you like with sherry? I like um, like roast beef and Yorkshire pudding with Palo Cortado. <sighs> Jesus, that is some shit right that there. That sounds amazing. It's so good. Uh, I like duck with an unfiltered amontillado. Oh shit, that um, makes a lot of sense. Like the um, they're they're back to the El Masanista thing. I mean, I think. You know, a lot of times those Almasanista things, you, you you start getting dorkier with the pairings because, you know, everybody says when they come in my restaurant, oh, what sherry should I pair with this dish? And what should I? And so I'll, you know, point them in a direction. I, I think it's too much to ask people to figure it out on their own. It's also, it's, it's tricky because people always want to buy it and they're not going to be able to buy a lot of the shit that I sell. They're mm-hmm. just not. Even the <laughs> yeah. best wine shops are not going to have a lot of the stuff that I have. So... You know, yet another reason to come over. Yeah, well, yeah. it's 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 part of my whole thing, right? Yeah. Like try to make people feel like they're getting something they can't normally get. And I I know my chef does that. Not yeah, fuck yeah, he yeah. does. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's not like, oh, I'm gonna make this so weird they can't understand it. He's gonna make it, you know, still taste like a Wendy's chicken sandwich, but it's actually sweetbreads, mm-hmm. you know. So. Oh yeah, he's an artist for yeah. sure. Dude, I mean, he's, he's crazy. He's insane. He's, he's crazy. Dude. He's incredible, and it is a very, it's the type of experience you're not gonna get. Unless really like you're going to the best version of that restaurant in one of the bigger cities in the country, or you're in Portugal, or you're in Spain, and uh, even then, uh, well, it's, it's what, what I really when I first started traveling around Spain, what I really loved is yeah, sure, if you're on the coast, you you know where you are. Um, if you're in the center of the country, man, you you could be pretty much anywhere. Mm. Like you know, they, they shot something, they foraged something, it all goes in one pot. I think I've said that before, but, yeah, but I, it really is true. I mean, it, it's not. You know, there's no, despite being the uh, launching pad for the spice trade, there's not a lot of spices in Spanish and Portuguese cooking. So, you know, it's just the ingredients are shining, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, you'll, you'll uh, whether it's, you know, intentional at a Michelin star restaurant or just some random restaurant, you'll, you'll see techniques that are distinctly Asian or French, you know, like, or, um, you know even West African in a way, you know, like, which I find fascinating that they sort of just incorporated these techniques without even realizing, you know, where they came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially in the pastries. That's all yeah. Middle Eastern influence. Y- yep. Mm-hmm. What oh. kinds of good food and sherry pairings did you learn about down there that you might be incorporating out here? Nathaniel. I I think around Thanksgiving, especially, yeah, your Amontillado with like turkey is just something that you might get someone hooked on mm-hmm. um the the finos and the manzanillas like starting your meal off with those especially like with any kind of like fresh seafood oysters or you know crab that kind of thing picked and in a blanket into like yeah <laughs> i mean might be a little heavy but <laughs> yeah. um but then like once you go into like depending on what you're doing for christmas dinner if it's red meats or any kind of like small game big game pheasant that kind of thing oloroso for sure and mm-hmm. i think a really cool one that i mean i think some people know about it but if you're doing any kind of desserts for your moscatels or pedro jimenez or creams like you can absolutely run a cheese plate with that like blue cheese mm-hmm. and those sweetened fortified cherries is a super great pairing um also amazing. just like chocolate obviously like chocolate goes really well just like it would with your italian vermouths mm-hmm. um any kind of fruit-based dessert or like ice cream, like you can just pour Moscatel over vanilla ice cream 
and that's good to go. You you, you brought mm-hmm. up something that has frustrated me with Psalms for decades, which is I never understood when Psalms paired something sweet with something really sweet, like the Sautern pairing or something like. like yeah. Why are you doubling down on this? Like it's, yeah, it's so supposed to be much a fatty duck liver, right? Like, well, you know? there you go. You know? because fatty duck liver is always or usually served with like a really sweet jelly or con like quince mm. or whatever. You don't need Sautern. Like I, I don't I've never understood that. And one of the best pairings I ever had when I was twenty four in Spain at a restaurant called uh Commerce Twenty Four in Barcelona. Twenty three courses, pretty cool. Food was pretty you know, it was really good, whatever. But then the flop course was paired with sherry and I was like, Thank you. Mm. I didn't need the sweetness of of, of Sautern, you know, <laughs> or anything like that. So I don't I don't yeah, get there's that. An in- there's an incredible restaurant in uh, Jerez de Frontera, La Carbona which they did an entire sherry tasting and just the the way that they were doing them you could just tell it was it's a, a lot pretty more popular innate. restaurant man yeah and I'm it's sorry. just like it everything was <laughs> sherry based and it was just like that's 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 part of their culture so it's not like the way that you know I'm coming up with this in Minnesota and being like look at how creative I am switching this or they're doing that or adding these flavors to the sherry it's like no it's just innate it's that same thing of like what grows in the ground, that's what you drink as well. Well, it also like, makes the, the sense with pairings. From here, the food from here. Like when you mm-hmm. go into yeah. a restaurant and like, and Assam is like, oh, this bottle of wine. And you're like, well, that's not going to go with four of the things I'm eating. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I never understood that about bottles of wine. I'm like, with sherry, you, you literally could have 30 thick things and pair it completely differently with every one of them. Yeah. You can't do that with regular wine. Yeah, that's very true. And also just, again, the breadth of the category. We're talking about yeah, the right. driest and the sweetest. And, right. like, it, yeah. you, you could do absolutely fino with ramen. Like, oh, yeah. That would be Sounds quenching great. and yeah. delicious and breaking up that rich umami thing in a way that the next bite's going to be even better. Or, like, we used to have a ramen night at Spoon and Stable, and people are like, what cocktail goes with this? And it's like, absolutely none of them. The coldest, cheapest mm-hmm. beer is the best option here. Thank like, you. Yeah. Don't, don't overthink this. This is just, like, this is about balancing and to just add on another rich thing or another sour thing isn't going to get you there. Well, and I think too, you met you, uh, everything you're talking about with all these different styles, that's the singularity of Sherry. And that's, what's so different about it. You've got, so tequila, you've got a, a lot of different flavors in the world of tequila from something that's, you know, not aged hardly at all to something that's maybe aged as much as five to nine years. Rum similar, but it's, they don't really approach Sherry for having all these different expressions of just one or two grapes. So that's pretty nuts. And I mean, that's, that's what fermentation does basically is like you're by allowing it, you know, to have that floor on there, you're getting flavor compounds that are developing over long periods of time that just like how a cheese is changing, you're getting more and more different flavor compounds. So it's just, just more complexity in general. It is a lot like cheese. That's crazy. When you were out there, are they drinking it mostly just neat and they're coming to you slightly cool? Or are you seeing seeing anything? Everything was chilled and Uh most of them were small portions. Mm -hmm. Although that is one of my many gripes with American dining is just that misunderstanding of sherry where it's for some reason the same price as a port. Even though I know how much that bottle of Fino or Amontillado is, and you're getting three ounces for twelve, fifteen dollars, and it's like, come on, that's not, yeah, that's not real. Yeah, like there was a a bar, amazing bar in Sevilla, uh, El Reden Concilio. I'm going to say that wrong, mm-hmm. but 
350 year old family owned bar mm. incredible spot just like the the furnishings and just like the the vibe and the meat hanging from everywhere in the bar and it was our last night in spain and back to andalusia after traveling around so i kind of felt like i had my sea legs and knew the language a little bit and ordered i want to say 12 to 15 drinks because obviously water is in there gin and then the tonic are separate but most of them when i got the bill it was like 30 euro because most of the fino and like the manzanillas and manciados even a Paulo cortado they were under two euro okay but let's be honest yeah. here like, we're not going to mm. take business acumen and advice from spaniards <laughs> like i'm sorry <laughs> but we i would love to be able to charge people you know ten dollars for everything but I give a shit about money. <laughs> Spain, well, you, like, got higher rent. you got higher rent than them. Like it's it's <laughs> also true. just like one of those things where it's like you might actually break even if it were dive bar prices on this one item. Like uh, obviously not the almas anistas, but like something that's just very simple and cheap. I would actually offer that as like a an add-on. So like when you do mini cocktails and someone's like, ah, I can't do a whole other cocktail. I got to drive or whatever. You might get them for seven bucks on the mini cocktail. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a cheap sherry, like it's less of a commitment and just the absolute, it's not Madeira. It's not port. Why is it on a dessert menu? If it's a dry wine, like it's yeah. just a, a recontext uh, of the, the drinking act. And I would say the same thing with vermouth too. Like, you can absolutely have like, you know, Barolo Quinato at the end of the meal with like a chocolate tort. That's mm. going to go great. I get the same, I get the, here I get the same amount of taxes on that as I do as a glass of bourbon, so no one's getting cheap shit here. So you I'm should b- mix them not- mix them both together. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> Other than Roberts, <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but yeah. Yeah, they get a million people coming through that. Yeah, yeah. it's just volume. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I I, I think it's funny, and, and I, I don't. I'm not picking you apart because I get it from European guests all the time. Like, oh, in my town, the one. I'm like, yeah, because it was made in some dude's backyard. And he's looking not not looking to make money off of it. Like, it's just he just makes it. Well, you and your know? restaurant was an open field um, eight years ago, right? You know, that right now is. Really nice real estate. I don't own the, so, own the building, and right. yeah, I don't. Right, I have employees to take yeah, care of. It's not a three hundred and fifty year old operation right. over here. It's just not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the Shit. time has come. Who's your sponsor for this? Is it like Clamato or something? Booze news with Kenneth Deadman. I wish. It used to be like Clamato. Bud Light Clamato? Now it's just the one Spanish tomato. Mm. Did y'all know that there was an earthquake in Humboldt County, California? Yes. Like, big one. Oh, it was big? Bro, like, uh, it was like almost almost a seven. It's six, like a oh six and God. a half. Oh my God, I didn't know that. My, my, homie, my homie, his plane lifted off from, uh, I think, the Eureka Airport as it happened. Jesus. Like, he said that the pilot Like got... an Independence Day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Welcome. Right, 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 Welcome right. to the pot. Yeah, no, yeah. like, my buddy was like, uh, I took off and the pilot, like, as we were, uh, what is that, ascending? Yeah. yeah. Pilot was like, apparently there's an earthquake down there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you not, look out your yeah, window, you, you you'll not know see that. the Pacific Ocean. He said it was Ocean. like 45 and seconds into their flight. Wow. Like, Jesus. It like, j- like, uh, Otherwise, they would have fallen into the crack and ended up in like land of the lost. You could have given them a little bump, like a little lift, though. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Or someone's gummy hit right then, and they were like, holy shit. Jefferson. 
Jefferson um, Reserve bourbon mm. is now going to make their own bourbon 25 years into the game. Oh, yeah. They just sold to Pernod, and they're going to build a $250 million carbon neutral facility. Has that ever been – have we ever been known what's actually where – the bourbon is in Jefferson's because a lot of them you can figure out, but that one's tricky. No, like there uh, were really special ones. Those eighteen years that they were did, floating around that were from the old Stitzel Weller for they, a while, but that, that, was, that was like that, that was, was a long, that was the yeah, only right. way yeah. that they that was ten years, hung in the game or ago. got right. their name in the game. Other than the ocean shit, was they bought all of that old Stitzel Weller stuff. So the ocean sh- stuff now is Stitzel Weller or it's LDI? No, 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 no. Like uh, who knows Probably where that what that it's whatever yeah right, right. like uh, but they bought a shitload of gotcha uh, gotcha the only way that people respected them was the fact that they could get a twenty year old uh, Stitzel distillate in their bottle for a hundred and fifty bucks gotcha. and it was yeah yeah and the like curse of the OG shit from like the yeah. late late eighties early nineties. Anyway, yeah, congratulations, yeah. fucking jerks. Yeah, it's not them that I don't like. It's the uh, the bourbon barrel foods guy, who okay. has nothing to do with them other than the fact that he uses their used barrels exclusively. Mm. Bourbon barrel foods out of Louisville. Know. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, their vendor will eventually. Gotcha. I mean, you've successfully successfully avoided their vendor. He oh did, my god! He I, just texted you. Vendors do not come into my restaurant. <laughs> They do or not. Like whoever, not whoever a good idea. Like represents them. Like, yeah. Could be like off. I just like, saw an ad for Jefferson's o- Ocean last night on television. I was like, "This is weird." Oh, that is yeah. Weird. Yeah, they like kind of invented like you know like uh, how when bourbon marketing got like too much and like they would wouldn't jump the shark. There'd be like a whole <laughs> like you know like a photo ad of like a lady with a glass of bourbon yeah. looking contemplate, we can contemplating. Contemplating. Yeah. In a mirror or out a window, right? Mm-hmm. With a shawl on, right? And there's a Do shark. Look, she's sitting there. There's a shark jumping out of the water. Do she's I sitting look there fat like, with this uh, nah. She's like, "Why the fuck am I drinking this?" Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, that was one down. One down. Yeah. We got, nice. We, all right, I got a good one. I got a good one. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, depending on when this airs, uh, there might still be time to get a last minute uh, uh, gift for a loved one. Mm-hmm. Especially one that might be spending the holidays alone. Mm. So my Jim Beam is offering a hug simu- simulating pajama. Um, wow. Top and bottom comes with cushioning so that wherever you are laying, it feels like you're being hugged. Oh, Jim Beam. It's like Jim a Beam, thunder, yeah. ja- really it's like a thunder jacket. The bottom for... too? Yeah, that's that's confusing. Yeah. Those aren't pillows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it looks like a lumberjack outfit, but uh, like yeah. like a fat lumberjack if you're a skinny person. Gotcha. So it's huh. just like, uh, yeah, like a uh, plaid with, with kind of like a built-in like uh, airplane pillow. The, you know, yeah. that C-shaped pillow, but it's kind of like built into the collar instead. What does this have to do with Jim Beam? They're, it's their, their, it's the their, their yeah. marketing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so they've gone from let's help to revive the highball, and then if we have enough time, we'll do the hug pajamas. And maybe we'll put Jesus. some cough syrup into fucking bourbon and call it, what was that, red stag shit? You oh, yeah. That? yeah. Oh, my God. I got in so much trouble about They're that. They're like, it's too. red. Yeah. You want it. The cinnamon <laughs> shit? No, it was like, it literally oh, yeah, tasted it like fucking cough syrup. It was like cherry. 
And oh, I remember, I remember they oh, did yeah, an event yeah, yeah. at my bar, and they're like, "Isn't it cool?" I'm like, "No, this is fucking terrible, dude. What are you doing?" <laughs> like Jim Bean is literally looking up from his grave, going, "You guys, I bet are they sell idiots. they sell that in uh, in uh, Minnesota. There's right? there's no way they still make Red Stag. Do they still make Red Stag, Nathan, Nathaniel? I keep calling you Nathan. <laughs> I no, I I've never heard of that. Thank God. I always feel like those. What about fire? What's Fireball like going on? What's the Fireball situation uh, up in uh, Fireball's massive in because Wisconsin. of hunting. Yeah. It's where, like everyone's you grab a bottle of fireball before you go out hunting. But it's also well, that's that's a more u- traditional. Right, and it's like also European not made by a traditional thing. bourbon company. So mm-hmm. the, I don't have a problem with fireball. Fireball is made by uh, like Buffalo Trace, right? No, it's like a you know, crappy giant. Thing. It was a good idea to take the whiskey they're throwing away and do something with it. Yeah. That's what it was. Do they really does whiskey. anyone throw whiskey. away whiskey? <laughs> or do they just say that they're throwing it away, they just add sugar to it you just take the tops and then you just throw cinnamon into it and then yep i'm pretty sure that's how it started it's canadian (laughs) all right like i want to keep trolling they got no rules over there i want to keep trolling (laughs) this uh so we're invading in 10 years canada get ready the huggable hug simulating pajamas by jim beam it's called the kentucky hug of course ah the Kentucky, the Kentucky hug, hug is a previous, term that the they... Kentucky hug is way different at the Seville Strip Club. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. oh yeah. The Kentucky oh, hug. Man. That's a great drink cheap. name. Anybody out yeah. there wants to use it? True. Well, it's a term. I guess like it's a term on their website for like that first taste of a bourbon, mm. like the shakes or wiggles you get it's called the kentucky hug like which the, no one's ever called it that no the lady nope. the lady nope. at miss mary bobo's had another name for it i forget what she said joy joy is her name joy yeah miss mary bobo's when not you, a strip club it's when, a no, when <laughs> nice you, restaurant anyone who comes to tennessee <laughs> nathaniel for sure uh miss mary bobo's is the greatest restaurant in tennessee so. it's pretty incredible it's when the uh, shakes turn into a tingle in the That's shadow the of the hug. jack daniels <laughs> distillery <laughs> yeah. they only do lunch and they do like a family style lunch so Excellent depending food. on the amount of people that you bring you're you're dining with strangers and one host who's tells you just weird fucking stories Adorable. about a boring town <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> where you can't drink <laughs> All right, uh, this is more bourbon. More. This is a whiskey. It's uh This it's, is whiskey centric. It's whiskey's hate. This is the whiskey's time of year. Yeah. Like it's uh, whiskey haters everyone, corner. Like bourbon. Like everyone's like drinking those bourbons. And, yep. But it's also like uh, the time of year that they don't have to sell bourbon because people are like fucking buying it before they launch like a marketing program to convince people to drink bourbon during the summertime when it's fucking hundred and five degrees, ninety degree. 90, 90% um That's gym season, baby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um anyway. What was that? More more bourbon, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. The most expensive bottle of uh Pappy twenty three has just been auctioned off in Craig's mm. Craig's beloved city of New York. Mm. Sotheby's in New York. Yep. Twenty three year old uh, Van Winkle. We've tasted that before. Mm-hmm. It's all over the place. Yeah, how much? Or it used to it's be. Not as good as a fifteen. You know, really. uh, fifty two fifty two point five thousand dollars to a guy who smokes cigars with an incredibly tiny penis. Are those like? Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Like uh, even, even the pre sale of those is like three or four. Mike, you bought a couple of them for the restaurant. What did they cost when you got them? Mm. $900, right? 12? No. no. 
what no, I don't want to say. It wasn't fucking Low. it wasn't like over two thousand dollars. Two hundred and twenty dollars. What? For twenty three? I think it was it was nothing It was like a friendly That's, price. That sounds kinda right. Two fifty, yeah. And it wasn't like exorbitant. It's never really been. I can't until, with this shit, man. Yeah. I can't. Is that like a charity though? Like in that Sotheby- no. auctions go? Sotheby's like, is Sotheby's you, and Christie's like, are serious. Raise- no, 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 no. They're not charitable. Oh, they might be charitable, but but that no, no. Sotheby's is like and Christie's are the two high end auction houses Tax in purposes. New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sotheby's owns property here. Like they they real estate and stuff. So like a uh, they're Van, the Saudis, Van Winkle, bro. Fifteen year old went for uh, nine nine thousand three hundred, and a twenty year went mm. for twenty eight thousand mm. dollars. Um, and, and it wasn't. They weren't even special. selling the it was good just one. Just a standard. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think yeah, it was just it, reggae. They they didn't uh, specify the year. It would have to be like looking at the photo. I know that it's not like pre-prohibition, and they didn't make a twenty-three-year so like pre-prohibition Rye, anyway. Like, like the last one that Booker No made, or something special, right? Yeah, no, yeah I'm betting. So. I'm betting like it's like this year or last year or like pen or like pandemic. <laughs> that is year. crazy yeah. price because. Uh, Nathaniel's right. Typically, those prices would be off like something that was maybe connected to the family or was in an old buried under the sea. Yeah, so that's a like from one of the old distilleries. Milliliters is twenty four ounces, twenty five point four. It's the same so guy who buys a G wagon. You know, like I'd that's say it's the this... same guy that buys some magic beans. Like, yeah, that's, that's a weird. I would. Flex. I'd be like, more into magic beans. Man, than yeah, where you get the? I was going through like at the end. <laughs> Of puberty, so like uh, everything was hitting hard. Wow. Fuck. <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> I just got in my driver's license. Auctions. I mean, it's not that oh. much of a stretch. It's Cosby right. show. Right. <laughs> um, oh, oh, oh! This is great. My 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 beloved old city that I didn't really do much of anything in, but I did get a drink. I did get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> In the uh, the old ironworks building, uh, um, trying to fucking find the name of this dude's bar because it's changed since I lived there. Uh, oh yeah, Biddle's Bar in the ironworks building in the city city center of of Belfast, it's like the, uh, the 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 city hall right there, which is a like a comp- uh, exact replica of the London city hall. It's beautiful, beautiful. They mm. got a the fucking. Um, what do you call the Ferris wheel? They got a Ferris wheel there and shit. Biddle's Bar has become notorious in a emerging teetotaling city of Belfast for um, kicking kicking uh, guests out for ordering um, anything other than a Guinness or a gin. Wow, I like uh, it most already. Rec- most recently, Coca Cola Coca Cola is like kind of blown it up because they're not serving because a lot of folks are. Uh, including like um, Uber drivers and uh, sober drivers are ordering Coca Colas and he's kicking them out of the of the building. Wow, seats twenty four, but there's like four seats in the place. Like this is like what we need and in you the drink, United States. Yeah, so, you drink Guinness or gin, or, or you go in and you're standing up a and Guinness. you order. Yeah, a like uh, I think like a lot of a lot of folks don't understand like traditionally bars were never like designed for you to like stay and watch four quarters of football mm. 
especially like college football, fucking a, like fucking drags. He's got the time for that shit. It takes your whole fucking day. Yeah, but yeah, like they sell with twenty four spaces. Like they can allow twenty four people in the building per day or at a time. They sell seven hundred Guinnesses in a day wow. normally mm. with gin. It's supposed to. It's supposed to be like the the perfect pint of gin or perfect pint of <laughs> perfect, perfect pint, pint of, of gin. gin. Of you gin, can use of gin, of gin. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> You'll believe anything at that point. You got to give. Uh, <laughs> Like Guinness props because they inspect every tap, every handle, every line, and every bar that serves Guinness yep. in Republic and Northern Ireland mm. every day. I love Guinness. Wow. I love it so Me much. Too. And I Me don't even too. drink beer. I love it. Lakeside it's, has a good one. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And it's not even, it doesn't even compare. Like no. the best, the best pour of Guinness you get in the States doesn't necessarily compare well our guinness that we get in the states is made in jamaica dude like that's where i my favorite solid fact my favorite coffee is is from jamaica yeah like just anyone anyone here know where the largest bottle of wine is in the world hmm is it at kid rocks where is everything (laughs) huge Um, that's Florida. The largest, oh yeah, Texas. That's where the largest. Mountain that's a good Dew. guess. <laughs> the largest Mount Dew. It's the largest Mount Dew. I'm sorry, I got my. Is it Texas? No, nah, in India, in uh, oh. Rajaj, India. Um, the largest wine bottle in the world it doubles as a Airbnb hmm. for 35 pounds. Oh, there's no night. wine in it. Jesus. It's empty. You're the wine. Oh, if you, for sweet. if you rent it, nice. rent it out for the night. Sweet. That's like what um, old winemakers say. It's like be uh, the wine. Be the wine. thirty feet by eleven feet with three bedrooms. Was there originally Jesus. wine in it? So I guess that's it's designed for hobbits. Was no, there, oh no, okay. it never had wine in it. I don't like no, no. like it was because your question was a little fucking deceiving. No, right? it's the largest yeah. wine bottle. <laughs> yeah, I'm true. sure there's wine inside. <laughs> right, right. There has been. Yes, and there will be. Yeah, true. Hmm. Although it's a rotating amount. Yeah. Huh. There you go. I like this idea for New York apartments, just old M4s that are set up, and then you get like four yeah. feet by four feet. For yeah. Manhattan. I've been see- I've been seeing a lot of that shit. Don't like people not. are paying like uh, two fifty for a room that they can't like even. They gotta like be in a fetal position to sleep yeah, in. Yeah, Tokyo shit. too. There's some dumb. By the way, that's a whole di- whole different. You're talking about but... your apartment being two hundred and fifty square feet. Yeah, there. I live in several like, apartments for that were that? under four hundred like square feet. That's like the size feet. of this studio, this room. No, a little, larger. Bit, little bigger than this. Yeah, this is probably like one hundred and seventy-five square okay. feet. Hundred. I lived in apartments. I can that were handle probably, this. Oh, you know what? You're in New York. First of all, when you're young, you don't ever. You're never there. Right. So it was, I just use it as a place to sleep. So, you know, I... I yeah, you pee on the street. It, that's you poop the thing, on the street. Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing about living in Tokyo and in, 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 in sleep New on York. The street. Or, you know, you, you go outside of your place, you know. Yeah. You know. All <laughs> right. Um, I just want to... Yeah, I want to appreciate... I want to extend my appreciation to you, Craig, Thank and you. Nathaniel for making Sherry cool to our... Like, I got my buddy Mike up, listens to every episode up there in D.C., yeah, probably never gonna drink sherry. Right, I'm going to till, see next till he listens to this. Till he listens to yeah. this, yeah, awesome. We did it. We broke sherry. Yeah, <laughs> this was it. <laughs> let's 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 make sure we we mean the wine. Now let's build it back. Just gotta we see we if broke they it get down. It. Let's build it back up. Yes.
Yep. Well, thank y'all so much. Thanks to Craig Schoen from Peninsula, an amazing restaurant here in town that you can find on Eastland Avenue, right there next to the bookshop that's carrying our new book, The Liquid Gold Holiday Drinking Guide Cheer, available wherever you buy books. And uh, you can find a 100 Mill Street gin. Nathaniel, thank you so much. Tell us the website one more time of 100 Mill Street. Just 100millstreet.com. And uh, yeah, we ship to most states. So. And I like these pictures for the holidays. And I love these pictures on your Instagram. You got like Don Johnson, a little, uh, you know, Photoshop magic, but Don Johnson from Miami Vice sitting there. Yeah, it's a a little goofy. Oh, yeah. I like that. Hit me up. Bang my line on Nathaniel MPLS on Instagram. Excellent. Follow my adventures in Spain. Yeah, it was incredible. Incredible pictures that you posted from there. And uh, good stuff. As always, follow us online at liquidgold underscore pod email us liquidgoldpod at gmail.com check us out at the new website liquidgold.show yeah it's been a ton of fun you guys thank you so much happy new year happy new year happy new year uh, happy new year we'll see you next time right here on liquid gold later tater